conference room and slept out there to test if it was going, how it would work in the cold when he goes hunting. So, this morning I smoked and I said, so you, how, long, how often do you have to reload it? Every 50 minutes. And I said, oh. did you get any rest? Oh, I got a lot of rest, Mom. More than working a night shift. Oh. <laughs> so I said, I'm going for every 50 minutes, so I just wake up and... Put some wood in. What, what, it's just this little wild stove that goes in a tent. Okay. We are in Nehemiah chapter 5 this morning. We will read from Jeremiah chapter 34. 34. Jeremiah 34. So let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things we can learn from it, for the provisions that you make for your people, even when they're uh, suffering economic hardships. And, and that's some of the things we'll be looking at this morning. Um, how to treat each other, how to uh, take care of each other, and uh, the provisions your law makes for uh, taking care of those who are in need. We just pray that you'll bless our time now as we study. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> okay, we, we will read in Jeremiah chapter 34. Jeremiah uh, was a prophet during the time when Babylon uh, under Nebuchadnezzar was attacking Jerusalem. So this is about 140 years before Nehemiah, before what we're at. But it talks about how uh, the Jews were mistreating the ones who had, were poor and had sold themselves into bond slavery. And so it's kind of the same situation that we will have here in Jeremiah, or excuse me, in Nehemiah chapter 5. So Jeremiah 34, we will start at verse 8 and read through the end of the chapter. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them. Everyone was to free their Hebrew slaves, both male and female. No one is to hold a fellow Hebrew in hostage. And all the officials and all the people obeyed who had entered into the covenant that each man should set free his male servant and each man his female servant so that no one should keep them any longer in bondage. They obeyed and set them free. Afterward, however, they changed their minds and took back their male and female slaves. They had let go free and forced them to become slaves again. And for the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I made a covenant with your forefathers, and the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, saying, Every seventh year, each of you must free any fellow Hebrews who have sold themselves to you. After they have served you six years, you must let them go free. Your ancestors, however, did not listen to me or pay attention to me. Although recently you had turned and done what is right in my sight, each man proclaiming release to his neighbor, and you had made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. But then you turned around and profaned my name when each of you took back his male and female slaves, whom you had set free according to their desire, and you brought them into subjection to be your slaves. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, You have not obeyed me. You have not proclaimed freedom to your people, to your own people. So I now proclaim freedom to you, for you. 
declared the Lord. Freedom to fall for this by the sword, plague and famine. I will make you an ornament, an ornament to all the native kingdoms of the earth. I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the pieces of the calf. I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the earth. Behold, I am going to command, declares the Lord, and I will bring them back to the city, and they will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. <coughs> so we have seen before that when uh, a Hebrew had to sell himself as a bond slave because of poverty, the God required them to release them after six years of service. Their debts would be forgiven. They would have considered that six years of service to have paid off the debt and they were to be released. And this was God's command under the law. And they had not been doing that. They had been keeping them as servants instead of releasing them like they should. So Zedekiah had uh, basically said, you have to release them. Now, we have not been doing it according to law. You have to release them. So all the people released their servants. And they took a covenant. And one of the ways of making a covenant, it talks about cutting a calf in two. And you set the two pieces down, you walk between them. We had this uh, similar um, thing back when God made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham fell into the deep sleep. And you have that smoking pot passing between the pieces of the animals that uh, Abraham had sacrificed. And the idea behind that is, if I do not keep this covenant, may it be done to me like we did to these animals. So it's a real strict uh, uh, pledge to keep that covenant. Uh, But what we see is that they took these people back into slavery again. And so Jeremiah says, well, you're going to die. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come. He's going to take the city, and you will die by the sword. You'll die by famine because you made this pledge, and God is going to see that you pay the penalty for breaking it. Back when we were began uh, the book of Ezra, and we were talking about all the reasons why Jerusalem was destroyed. One was the land had not had its um, seventh year Sabbath, and so God took the land and let it rest for 70 years. Um, Here we see the the failure on their part to release their slaves. Multiple reasons of disobedience, and the result was that God brought Nebuchadnezzar against uh, Jerusalem, and uh, they destroyed the city and the temple. Okay, let's turn now back to Nehemiah chapter 5. <coughs> and we see here that, uh, again, there are the, the wealthy ones are abusing the poor. 
we have a situation, we began chapter five last week, we have uh, the people under economic pressure. One of the things is that they're working on the wall. They can't go out and earn wages while they're working on the wall. So it's, we're, we're assuming that because of where this chapter is located that this happens while walls are under construction. That's not something that we're absolutely certain about because it doesn't give a timestamp anywhere in this chapter saying this occurred while the walls were under construction. But since it's located here, we'll just assume that. So the people are working on the wall, they're not earning money. It mentions a lack of grain and a famine. Well, whenever you have a famine, you have a shortage of food and economics talk about supply and demand. As the supply drops, the price goes up. So food was scarce, the price was excessive. It also talks about the king's tax. So the government was taxing them. They had inflation going on. Sounds, <laughs> sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, they didn't have they, truckers, though. No, they didn't have truckers. No. But they did protest. We have a loud protest. Uh, and their wires were out helping them protest. Um, so the economic problem, you, you ended up with those who had land were either mortgaging their land or having to sell their land in order to pay for the taxes and to pay for food. The people who did not have land to sell and did not have possessions uh, to pawn or whatever, they had to sell themselves into slavery. So they became bond servants. And so that's the situation that was going on. And the, the wealthy class was abusing this. The people were complaining and uh, they were not able to repay. They lost their lands, they lost their livelihood. They were basically trapped in slavery. And that was the first five verses here. So this morning we're starting at verse six and we see Nehemiah's response, he says, Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. So that's his response. He was very angry at how the wealthy Jews were abusing the general population. <clears throat> and this term, very angry, was, is similar to what Sanballat, the um, Samaria, Samarian, Samaritan, excuse me, uh, had felt when he heard that the Jews were rebuilding the walls. Remember, he was furious. Well, that's the same response we get here from Nehemiah. Let's look at Psalm 106. We will see how God can get very angry. Psalm 106. Would someone like to read verses 40 and 41 for us? Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his inheritance. Then he gave them into the hand of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Okay, so that kind of tells what happened after what we read in Jeremiah. God was very angry with what they were doing. And so Nehemiah's response is the same here. <coughs> now, 
this is something that didn't just happen. I mean, it hadn't been like uh, going on for a week or two. This is something that must have been ongoing from a time before Nehemiah even arrived in Jerusalem. And he'd, he'd probably only been there a month or so when he heard about this. And if you remember back in uh, Ezra, we had something similar happen to Ezra. Let's turn back to Ezra chapter 9. Some would like to read verses 2 and 3 for us. Okay, so here Nehemiah has been, excuse me, Ezra has been back in the land for about four months. He returned so that he could teach the people the law and make sure they were abiding by God's law. And then he hears about this ongoing problem of intermarriage. And he is appalled. He, is, he responds with extreme grief. <coughs> so here we have two, two examples in Ezra and Nehemiah. God sends a man back to help his people. And after they've been there for just a short period of time, they get blindsided by this serious um, spiritual, social, economic type problems. And they have to respond to that. So Ezra responds with great grief. Nehemiah, on the other hand, becomes very angry. And we'll see his response in verse 7. And I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You are exacting usury, each from his brother. Therefore I held a great assembly against them. So I like, I have the New American Standard, and it begins with, I consulted with myself. That's not the same as talking to yourself. (laughs) The NIV says he pondered this. And that reminded me of one of my other favorite passages that is somewhat similar. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Sometimes the wording we have in scriptures is almost humorous. Luke chapter 12. Would someone like to read verses 16 through 19? What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. Okay, so here we have someone else reasoning or thinking to himself. I like verse 9. And I'll say to my soul, uh-huh. Soul? <laughs> Here's, we've, we've got lots of money. You can eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, so he's talking to himself. But uh, I think the lesson we can learn from this, it's a good idea to stop and think before you do anything or say anything when you're extremely angry. Um, especially like Nehemiah here where he was very angry. 
usually in our cases, it seems like the, the things that make me most angry are the things that are um, I, that I take personally. It's not a righteous anger; it's a personal offense, and it's not justified. In this case, Nehemiah's anger was justified. He could see this. The, the wealthy taking advantage of the poor. They were violating God's law. His anger was justified. Um, but, okay, yes? I was just going to say, we saw when we were um, in, in charge or you know, uh, president and secretary of the soccer club, everybody was going out to soccer games with their kids, and parents, their kids meant a lot to them. And so when there was an <laughs> injustice in their eyes, uh -huh. They would call our number and leave us this enraged message. And we'd get home, so we'd listen to them all, uh -huh. and then I would call them back the next day. Yes. <laughs> because by then, most of them had cooled down a lot. Right. <laughs> it was a lot easier to deal with them. You know? Yeah, yeah. So take the time to, you know, in Nehemiah's case, his response, if he had responded immediately, it could have been very unwise, it could have been harmful, um, but he stopped and thought. So let's look at some passages. Let's go to James to begin with. James chapter 1. One? James 1, yes. Verses 19 and 20. Would someone like to read these for us? Okay, there's the warning. Be slow to speak, slow to anger. Um, take your time. Because, and again, he says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Usually, when I get angry, it's because of a personal offense. Although, as we, I think as we grow and as believers, we become more likely to be angry about things that God is angry about rather than about personal insults or personal offenses. And then for wisdom, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs tells us often how we ought to respond or how, what we ought to do. Proverbs chapter 18, would someone like to read verse 13 for us? Okay, so Nehemiah has heard rumors. He has not had time to, you know, consult with everybody to get all the information. If he starts with an answer before he has had time to investigate, it will probably be something that he'll regret. So make sure you've heard all the information. Take the time before you speak. And then turn back in Proverbs to chapter 14. And someone like to read verse 29 for us. Exalts folly, right. So this is, again, having a quick reaction will probably be considered folly. You'll regret it afterwards. Um, 
hear lots of stories, especially with emails at work where someone hears, gets an email and they respond in anger and uh, end up losing their career over it. Take the time to figure out what's going on, calm down, uh, don't respond too quickly. So we have this situation, the wealthy and the powerful were exploiting and oppressing the poor. And this was not just an economic problem. That's kind of what started it was economics. But now you have class distinctions beginning to develop. And this was dividing God's people. <coughs> and that in itself is another whole issue that that uh, Nehemiah had to uh, work on and resolve. So let's, let's go to Proverbs again. This time to chapter 22. There are a couple of verses here that tells us about this, how to respond. Proverbs 22. <clears throat> Someone like to read verse 7. The rich rule the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender. Okay, so that's the situation. The rich were ruling over the poor. The borrower is a lender's slave. So what's what's the truth behind that? How do you confront that? Let's go back in the same chapter. Someone like to read verse 2. Proverbs 22, 2. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Okay, rich and poor have a common bond. God made you, and he made the rich man, he made the poor man. In God's eyes, there is no difference. And even though in society we tend to distinguish between social classes, God does not see that. Um, and so here Nehemiah needs to deal with that, especially amongst the, the Jews, because they are all God's people. We'll see that uh, as we look at more passages. So, going on in verse uh, 7, he says he contends with the nobles and the rulers. So, he addresses the, the upper class. These are the members of the upper class. They were the ones who uh, were responsible for the abuse. And it probably included the priests as well. If when we look down at verse 12, um, he says, So I called the priests and took an oath from them. So he includes the priests. And also, when we looked at Jeremiah chapter 34, from the, uh, earlier, the priests were included in that list of those who were offending. Uh, they should have known better, more than anyone, uh, what God's law said. So Nehemiah contends with him. Uh, he basically makes uh, a legal accusation here. He says, you are exacting usury. He says, this is like having a grand jury indictment. He's saying, you are doing this. Um, this is a legal uh, uh, indictment. This is a definite violation of Mosaic law. So let's go back, let's go to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus 22, 
Someone would like to read verse 25. pretty clear. You shall not charge him interest. So here when he uses the word usury, he's talking about interest of any amount. Not excessive interest, but interest at all. Um, And this verse in Exodus, who are the people who are being protected? What does this? The poor? The poor? Well, what does, what does the verse say right at the beginning? Exodus 23-25, or 22-25. If you lend money to my people, God's saying, these are my people. You do not charge my people interest. So if you start messing with my people, who do you have to contend with? Me, yeah. (laughs) So that's the issue here. They are violating God by charging money to his people. So he makes that quite clear there. Um, Again, he doesn't care who's rich and who's poor. They are his people and they are not to abuse them. Uh, Let's look at Leviticus chapter 25. We'll be going... There's a few chapters back in the Pentateuch we'll be visiting fairly often, I think. Leviticus, uh, I'm still in Exodus. Leviticus chapter 25. Someone would like to read verses 35 through 38. Now, in case a countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere your God that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest nor your food for gain. I am the Lord your God who bought you out of the land of Egypt to give you to the land of Canaan, to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Okay, we see several things here. First, in verse 35, uh, you are to sustain him. So this is, lending to the poor is not for your monetary benefit, it's to help the poor. That's the reason that God put this here. You can lend him money to help him. Okay? You do not take, and again, you do not give him your silver at interest or food for gain. You, you know, It's not a profit opportunity. And he reminds them again, I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of slavery. I don't like slavery. I'm not going to have you enslave each other. You're going to treat each other well. So this is the accusation. He says, you are charging usury. You know, clear violation of the law. They don't have anything... uh, say in response to that. Um, now normally, <clears throat> when you had a legal case on, in Israel, <clears throat> the two parties would go to the city gate 
lay the case out before the elders, and the elders would make a judgment. If the case was too difficult, they would take it to the priests who knew the law forward and backward, and they could render a judgment if it was a difficult case. Now here, the guilty party, or parties, were the elders and the rulers and the priests. So who do you take the case to? So what Nehemiah does is, he says, therefore, I held a great assembly against them. He gathered all the people, and he's going to present the case before the people. So he's acting as the prosecutor, and the people will stand in judgment against those who are the rulers and elders and priests. So they're being tried before the people and before God. Um, he got, well, it talks about a great assembly. assembly. Yes, yeah, he, he calls the people against the rulers in the assembly. And this, this raises the question we've mentioned before. Did this occur while they were rebuilding the wall? Did Nehemiah consider this to be so important that they would interrupt building the wall to, to do this? So some of the commentaries will say, well, we th- think probably not There's that this happened after the wall was completed. But we're not told that. But that's why the question comes up. Are they, are they going to stop construction to, do, to hold this trial? Maybe they did. Didn't that sound like earlier, though? As they kept, you know, working on the wall as a priority, they didn't realize they're stopping for anything, are they? That's what it is, yeah. And I was thinking about, you know, they're not going to stop because they're under a threat of terrorist attack. They're not going to stop for because of this or that. And when we get back in the next chapter to the wall again, we'll see about another, you know, some more opposition. And again, they don't stop building. So I think there's, I think that's a legitimate concern that this may have occurred later. Um, but again, we don't know because there's no date stamp here or time stamp as to when it occurred. Okay, so in verse 7, he makes a very general charge against them. And in verse 8, he, con- he uh, continues to uh, lay out his case against them. He says, And I said to them, We, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. So here he draws a contrast between what he has been doing and what they are doing um, with their evil actions. His actions were righteous. He starts by saying, we. You know, who, who is we? Um, if you look down at verse 10, he says, Likewise, I, my brothers, and my servants. So it's not just he himself, his, his whole party has been doing this. Um, they've been working to redeem Jews who had been sold as slaves to Gentiles. Uh, 
So they were sold to the nations or to the Gentiles. And they've been trying to redeem them. Now this could be Jews who had been sold into captivity uh, at the time of the exile and that they had been redeeming them from their, you know, their families would have remained slaves for generations and they may have been buying Jews out of slavery and giving them freedom so they could return to the land. So that's one possibility. The other one is that um, these creditors had actually more recently been selling Jews to the surrounding nations and that Nehemiah and his um, and the people with him had been buying them out of slavery. You know, they didn't necessarily know how they got there at the time, but they'd been trying to redeem them from the surrounding nations. <clears throat> so Yes. Probably a similar situation where even people in in the land of captivity that had done well maybe sent money that could be used that way. Right. Right. There was. Um, I've just been reading through Jeremiah, and he he pleads with the people, "Do not resist Nebuchadnezzar. Go and serve the Babylonians." And God will bless you there. You know, he said, you'll be prosperous. You know, even though they're out of the land, they, God will still prosper them. Um, and they did. They had, you know, when, when they returned, they, they brought a lot of money back to rebuild the temple. Um, they brought money back to, for sacrifices and things like that. And so uh, there was wealth among the Jews. But... Uh, once they got back to the land, then they had some economic problems. Now it says that they had been, uh, it says according to our ability. So this is, they were, they were redeeming as many as they could financially. You know, that reminds us of, of Paul's letters to the Corinthians where it talks about giving to the church according to as you are able. Um, and that's what they were doing here. Now, what it appears is that these wealthy creditors now had been uh, taking the Jewish people as bondservants and then possibly either reselling them to other Jews or to pagans. And Nehemiah is saying, that's... We've been working so hard to buy them back to give them their freedom, and now you're just making things worse. You can just see the exasperation, uh, his dismay with them. Um, What's the realization uh, that, they, that they had caused, you know, like they had sold them and they've been trying to buy them back, not realizing that they, they were, the were the ones that had sold them. Right, right. Um, and, and as you remember, this is. This is in front of a great assembly. So here he's got all the leaders and the priests up here, and he's making these accusations, and all the people are there listening to this. And this should, you know, this is like a public shaming in a way, just making the accusation. Um, but in a way, he, he maybe 
enslaved what God's law says, hopefully that you would. Right. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 21 again. This is, this is a, as I said before, there's a few chapters we'll spend a lot of time in going back and looking at. Exodus 21, someone like to read verses 7 and 8 for us. This is about girls who are sold into bond servitude or actually sold into, matri- into marriage is what actually has happened here. Some would like to read verses 7 and 8 for us. If a man sells his daughter as a female slave, she is not to go free as the male slaves do. If she is displeasing in the eyes of her master, who designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He does not have authority to sell her to a foreign people because of his unfairness to her. Okay. So he's she's been given, and, and basically... Uh, taken as a wife in a sense I, I guess um, and if if he finds he is displeasing with her she can be redeemed um, by by her family again but it's absolutely forbidden that a foreign for him to sell her to a foreign people um, now I spent some time looking for additional passages that talked about selling Jewish slaves to pagan nations, but really didn't find any in looking at all the cross-references and things. Um, But it does talk about Gentile nations who have taken Jewish slaves and selling them. Let's turn to Joel. Joel chapter 3. So I'd like to read verses 2 and 3 for us. Joel 3, verses 2 and 3. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there. On behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land, and have cast lots for my people, and have traded a boy for a prostitute, and have sold a girl for wine, and have drunk her. Okay, so here, these... the. Um, the nations will be judged because of, of selling the Jewish slaves to other nations. And also, looking at verse 6, and someone like to read that for us. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks, and you might send them far away from their and you and you might send them far away from your homeland. Okay. Yeah, so there, so there is the condemnation of the of these other nations for selling the Jews, uh, trading them like uh, like like just typical slaves, and these nations are condemned and um, judgment on them is prophesied because of this practice. So how much worse is it for fellow Jews to sell them as slaves and trade and barter them? Um, supposed to be protecting you know God had set up a whole right. system of protection right 
they were abusing God's people for personal gain. And uh, Nehemiah was very angry, and I'm sure God was very angry with them. Um, back when we were looking at Ezra, and he was dealing with a prov- problem of intermarriage. You know, and we looked at passages where it talked about God's judgment on Israel because of intermarriage. That was another one of the reasons why um, God sent the Babylonians to destroy the city. Mm-hmm. And you can see Ezra's concern that, you know, if we keep this up, it's going to happen again. You know, God judged us severely once for doing this, and now we're going back and doing it again. We need to stop. And I think we have somewhat of the same situation here. You know, we read Jeremiah you know, when they were abusing their servants, their slaves. That's one of the reasons why God judged them. And now they're doing it again. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah is, is uh, concerned that, you know, let's not, let's not give God another reason to uh, make things worse for us. So as a result of this condemnation, this public uh, accusation, we have the last statement in verse 8. It says, They were silent and could not find a word to say. They had no defense whatsoever. No excuse. I mean, it was obvious what they were doing. It was obviously a violation of the law. It was obviously pure selfishness for personal gain. They knew it. Everybody knew it. You know, what could they say? So all they respond to is with silence. They just acknowledge the fact that by their silence that they acknowledge their guilt. Okay, well, we will go on with the accusations uh, in verse 9, but uh, we'll save that for next week. So uh, we can close here in prayer. And I think... Debbie, you want to close for us? I'll let Joe off the hook today. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word and um, just the way it is so relevant even to us today. Um, We may look at Jewish traditions um, and uh, the law, but uh, many of these things can really be applied to our lives. And we thank you for the way it speaks across um, years and generations. Just thank you for the truth of your word just pray you would be with our time of worship to follow, that you would be with Robert and the study he's done, that we would hear from your spirit um, through your word. Pray you would be with those who come and that we might have a a time of fellowship for the rest of the day with the plan. We we just thank you for this time and, and the beautiful day you've given us today. In your name.